Welcome to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. Mike is one of the nation's top realtors and is highly regarded as an authority in residential real estate sales. Mike Bell has nothing to sell but great wisdom. You're going to love this show. Now, here's Mike Bell. Welcome to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. My name is Mike Bell. We're going to be with you for the next hour talking about residential real estate. Specifically, we're going to be talking about short sales. Now, we're a live show. We're in Pasadena. It's a call-in show. And you can call in at 888-GO-FOR-IT. 888-GO-FOR-IT. That's 888-463-6748 for people that don't know the alphabet on their phone. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, um, I sell a lot of homes. I'm a broker with Keller Williams. I've been selling for 19 years. And I actually sell homes for a living. I'm not a talk show host uh, full-time. I just do this a few hours a week. And we're in our nice Pasadena uh, studio, brand-new studio. So we always talk about the nuts and bolts of buying and selling real estate and a big part of what's going on in the market Today and for many years will be short sales. Last week we had a, a great show with Jennifer Rose, and she's here with us again. We're going to do part two. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Yeah, it's funny because at the end of the show last week, we realized there's so much ground that we didn't cover. And we talked a lot, and we did a lot. And we actually uh, we had more phone calls that we just didn't actually let go through. And we had one technical difficulty, but we're going to have – Hopefully we get more callers. We'll get call. We'll we'll be able to take people's calls this time. Now, um, real quick, just to get over some business here, my personal cell phone. You can always reach me is at eight 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 four zero one one five five five. That's eight 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 four zero one one five five five. My email is mikebell at kw dot com. My website is the mikebellteam dot com. I'm on Facebook. You can Google me. You'll find me. Okay, so we're here with Jennifer Rose. We're here talking about short sales, and we're going to get more into the nuts and bolts and more technical stuff in dealing with short sales. The fun stuff, Mike. It is all fun, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad you're laughing because I'm sitting here thinking, how can we have some fun with this? And it's just, we're going to have some fun. Well, Jennifer, you're with National Home Equity. I regard you as part of my team. And I hire you to handle my short sale negotiations just because that's not the way I'm wired. You're wired for this. You have an incredible track record. It's at 1,500 short sales you've closed. You've got, I think, 180 or now 179 in the pipeline. We closed one. You closed one for me last week. It was a reverse mortgage short sale with HUD. Boy, that was a toughie. That took about a... It took a year. It wasn't your fault, though. <laughs> so actually, it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just the way it just kind of rolled. But we're going to be talking about a little bit about that. And how everything can go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to roll right into our discussion, which really just a part two of last week's short sale discussion. We're going to talk about the ever-changing market for short sales. What's actually more specifically, really, you know, how, how uh, the negotiation process is constantly changing the incentives, uh, the modification process, what kind of loans you can get a short sale on. We're going to talk about seller incentives. We're going to dive right into second lien holders. We're going to also talk about 
something we, I think we should have talked about last week was really the best way to get a short sale approved. Absolutely. That'll be the best part. And we're going to talk about bankruptcy uh, that affects uh, the short sale process and also other liens. So let's just jump right into it. So the short sales are ever changing and there's, there's so many, it's, it's completely different now than it was before. Absolutely. And what's interesting is the marketplace nationwide, it used to be full of foreclosures. There's more short sales than there are foreclosures. Short sales have been going up. Foreclosures have been going down dramatically. And I think that's, well, that's, it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, homeowners and real estate agents have become more experienced at marketing and pricing short sale properties. And short sales are considered a, a much more efficient way than foreclosure to sell an underwater property. And um, banks know this. That's right, Mike. They definitely do. And it's, it's been a couple of years process of getting the banks on board. And let's, you know, even if we just step back for a minute and go back to the basics of a short sale. Yeah. A short sale is, it, it just bottom line means that the bank is making more money to recover their loss than a foreclosure. So it would absolutely make sense that the banks would recognize this, want to approve short sales because at the end of the day, it means more money in their pocket. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just a week ago. They were talking about, I, I, don't, I don't see how this stat could be true, but maybe it is. It says short sales are generally, short sales generally fetch more than foreclosures. And uh, they're saying that they fetch 20, uh, a foreclosure, um, they lose 24% more money foreclosing on a house than short selling a house. That actually does sound right. And 24%. Yes. That's right. Wow. You have to take into consideration with a foreclosure and which is what the banks do as well. They calculate in trustee costs. Mm -hmm. They calculate in attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. They calculate in the amount of time, interest and penalty fees that are added onto that loan by the time that they're able to get through the foreclosure process sell it and recover a buyer at a fair market value price. The whole idea, what you're talking about is called mitigating loss. That's a bank term. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do for a living. I think everybody realizes that everybody is actually better off with a short sale normally. Absolutely. Than going through the foreclosure process. Absolutely. So what can you do a short sale on? What kind of loans can you do a short sale on? You can do a short sale on just about any kind of loan. Uh, my experience includes VA loans. FHA, conventional, we're talking Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you name it. We did a reverse it. mortgage last week. And, of course, the infamous reverse mortgage. How about jumbos? Jumbos all day long. Private money? Private money. They are a bit more challenging because we definitely are dealing with an individual versus a uh, national banking system, but it can be done. So let's talk about... A little bit about the modification process because I actually got a, a phone call from one, I, one of my clients last week saying that we never even talked about the modification process. It, it seems like most of my clients, when they by the time they call me, they've tried to go through the, lo the loan modification process. And that's, that's obviously when you normally first talk to somebody. Take it from there. What you're absolutely what you right, saying? Mike. You're absolutely right. Most people that I do deal with have gone through the loan modification process. They have tried everything they can do to keep their home 
And they've found that the banks are either unreasonable, they don't qualify, or the modification isn't enough of a savings that's going to justify staying in that home. So by the time I get to them, I unfortunately have to bear the bad news that we start the whole process over because we are moving from one department to another in a bank, um, if you can picture that, if you will, where the two departments don't necessarily talk to each other. More often than not, they yeah. do not. So it is a frustrating part of the process because for those people out there that do know and have gone through that process, they are providing a ton of paperwork. They are jumping through hoops at every request at the bank. It's time-consuming. It's frustrating. And then, of course, who likes to be turned down? Nobody. So by the time they get to me, they're at their last resort. They are ready to get this thing gone and sold and on to bigger and better things. Well, what about somebody who comes to you and says, well, I, I want to do a short sale, but I'd like to get a loan mod. Let, let's just see what we can do. Let, let, can we do both? Absolutely. I get that question a lot. Uh, can we be reviewed for two things simultaneously? The answer is no. Uh, just the same as a bank will only look at one offer, they're only going to look at one avenue towards uh, some kind of a resolution. That makes sense. I mean, there's two different, completely different departments. And two completely different processes, two completely different guidelines. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult when you're dealing with Bank of America and you say, but I'm dealing with Bank of America. Bank of America has all of my information. They should know, and I'm picking on Bank of America here, but uh, they should know. And if I don't qualify for something, it should automatically qualify for me for something else. But unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Well, there's another reason why it doesn't work, and this is a real jab at all the banks, but they send, they tend to lose all the paperwork. I mean, is, is that just a stall tactic on their time? I don't know. I constantly, we will send stuff over. We'll fax it over because they don't take email. You don't mail it over. You fax it over, and then mm-hmm. it gets scanned on their end. Then you call to make sure it's all in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you call and you talk to a different person, and it's been my experience, and this is why I got out of doing the negotiations. That's right. That's are they right. are they doing this to you? Not so much anymore. Because um, it was prevalent. It seemed it like was, a few years ago. It was. It used to be the laughing stock of the yeah of the oh. real estate industry. Is is uh, you know it, if you remember that old uh, movie was it The Office where they're beating the fax machine out in the field. Yeah. That's that comes <laughs> to mind every time I would think about that. But you know a lot of the banks now they are utilizing email. And, uh, of course, we've got the Equator system, which mm-hmm. is basically a glorified website that uh, keeps the banks and the agents honest because you would upload documents there and they cannot be deleted or removed. So it it has eliminated a lot of that. Now, that being said, there's still the frustration of making sure that you're getting these documents to the right department, to the right fax number, to the right email. And uh, that's one of the things as a professional I have learned and figured out and uh, know how to direct this stuff without having to chase it down too much. Well, there's a lot of agents that just won't do a short sale. Very <laughs> true, and it just frustrates me to no end, to be honest with you. If if we could get more agents out there helping these homeowners, listing their properties for short sale, hire a professional like myself, and uh, take a lot of that frustration away from the listing agent, there's no reason to not do a short sale. Now, one of the things that I keep hearing in the field is, I'll have I'll, I hear I will hear of people saying that they they talk to certain realtors and they've essentially denied you know they don't the realtor does not want to help them they they basically said can't do it 
sometimes it might just because a lot of times it's because they're uneducated. I think the, the agent just doesn't know how to do it. They just rather do a regular equity sale. But maybe the a lot of them they just you know it's just it's very very complex. But sometimes the house is in foreclosure. A lot of times, the house is in foreclosure. That's right. And let's talk about that. Like in California, the foreclosure process could be almost four months. In That's a, right. In a, in a best case scenario, fastest case scenario, which really rarely happens. But um, does a do you have to have a for, do you have to have your house in foreclosure to do a short sale? Um, and uh, you know, can you stop? A foreclosure with a short sale. Great questions, Mike. Great questions. Uh, first and foremost, no, you do not need to be in the foreclosure process to do a short sale. Um, as a matter of fact, those are the easiest ones to to take because once you are in the foreclosure process, no, it's not too late. But the uh, fire is burning a little hotter at that point, and there is a lot more um, sense of urgency. On everybody's part, as far as getting that bank to review that file before that property forecloses. Now, it's a little scare tactic that a lot of uh, companies out there. We have a lot of yep. companies that are soliciting homeowners, stating that they are in foreclosure, that they have a sale date set on their home, and they don't. And if you read the fine, fine print way down at the bottom, it'll put in there that this is just a solicitation. So there's a lot of people who think it's too late. My house is already in foreclosure. There's nothing I can do. It's just not the case. But if if there is a uh, – just because you're in a short sale process doesn't mean the foreclosure process is going to stop. Absolutely. Great point. It's one question that I get asked a lot. Short sale does not stop a foreclosure until the short sale is closed. And that's one of the things that's my job is to hold off that foreclosure process as hard as I can until – we can close that short sale. And you were talking about how the, the foreclosure department and the short sale department are completely different departments. They could be in different cities. Exactly. They usually, they usually are. And even for the states. Big banks. That's right. And states. That's right. And maybe even countries, too, the way the <laughs> uh, servicing has been uh, taken off uh, offshore. Very, very true. We're going to go into our first break. Thanks, Jennifer. We're going to be back with Jennifer Rose. We're going to be talking about the the real complex issues with short sales. And we're going to be talking about how, uh, what she, does she take all, do you take all your short sale uh, assignments? Absolutely. So we'll talk about that. Absolutely. All right. Now back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the show. We're here with Jennifer Rose. We're talking about short sales. And right before we went into the last break, I asked Jennifer, do you take every short sale assignment that comes your way? And you said, yes. And then the music music started. And then you said... There's always a but, isn't there? There's always a depends on all of this stuff. That's right. The only thing that would stop us from accepting a short sale assignment would be a foreclosure sale date... Uh, any sooner than 10 days from that date. 10 what? days seems to be the magic number with most banks to get an offer in front of them before a foreclosure sale date in order to possibly, and that's possibly postpone that sale date. So you would have to have the homeowner's package. Uh, you'd have to have a copy of the listing contract. Correct. And you'd also have to have a bona fide 
uh, offer that's signed by both buyer and seller in your hand. And you, if you had that on day 11 before the, the foreclosure sale date, you'd say yes. Absolutely. Day Absolutely. Ten, day 10? Day 10, we're pushing it. Uh, day 9, it depends on the bank. Yeah. Interesting. I know a lot of agents, like we talked about before, they won't even take it if it's, there is a foreclosure. And my, my comment to them would be, why not? If you can seriously help these homeowners... And if you can help stabilize a neighborhood by selling a home through a short sale versus a foreclosure, why wouldn't you? We talked. I, I talked about this in another program, but the number one reason why any kind of real estate deals fall apart, the number one reason is lack of communication. Could not be more true in the case of a short sale. And it's, it's really unfortunate, but when, when people, it's just, it's human nature, I think, that when you get in trouble, it's easier sometimes to just stick your head in the sand like an ostrich until you have until you only have ten days left or something or, or, or thirty days and you just realize I got to do I finally got to do something. Absolutely, and I've uh, I've come into quite a few of those, quite a few homeowners who thought that they would go through the loan modification process, thought that they had more time, and once that sale date snuck up on them and they realized that this is real. There is kind of a last-ditch effort to get the bank to help them out, even though we've got that sale date just around the corner. Let me ask you, um, give me a best-case scenario. What's the best way to get a quick short sale rolling? Great question, Mike. Great question. All too often, I will travel around to different brokerages and speak with different agents and talk with them about short sales and how to get these things put in and approved as fast as possible. I, I think, heard you speak a few months ago on this. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, the hardest part for me is trying to convey to the agents, everybody thinks short sale of short value, and it's just not the case. Short sales just mean that the bank is taking a loss. It doesn't mean that the neighborhood is taking one. Mm. Best thing to do is to market that house at fair market value. I think that a lot of agents have that old school mentality of a few years ago that short sales were such a pain or that it's a perfect investor flip or it's this perfect deal. Not the case anymore. The banks are smart. The banks have figured it out and they want fair market value for that house. They have computers. They have Google Earth. They have Zillow, Trulio. They can, they, they know as well as their own contracted appraisers and agents. That's right. That's right. So the best thing to do is to market that property as fair market value. There is no reason in today's market, at least here in our market, that a bona fide buyer would not put in an offer at full fair market value and no reason why a bank wouldn't approve it. Well, I I can tell you a, a, a number of examples that I've, I'm seeing in, in, the, in our marketplace, and I'm sure this is happening nationwide, where say, for example, you have a – like in our, in our marketplace, our average sales price is around 600000 you may have a house that's worth six hundred thousand, but the agent puts it on for five hundred thousand, and you know they have to. They tell people that's a short sale. You have to tell in the marketing comments, um, and that's at least in California. Now, what happens is you, one of my buyers may see it and say, "Oh my gosh, five hundred thousand! I want to buy that house." That's right. And on something like that, in this kind of a marketplace where inventory is low, they might get thirty offers on this thing. That's right. And a lot of them are going to be for five hundred thousand. 
people thinking, oh, if they're at the asking price, I'm gonna, you know, I'll get it. That's right. But maybe they only get five twenty-five for it or five thirty, and then the agent that's representing the seller, I think, is doing a total disservice because, yeah, maybe it looks good that you got twenty-five offers. If you're in the industry, you know that if you have twenty-five offers on a property, there's actually something wrong. Okay. Absolutely. It's too, it's too many. Absolutely. But I think a lot of agents think, oh, wow, look, you know, they, they may sell it to the seller and go, wow, look how many offers I got, I got on this. And I, and they let, then they let the bank know that they got all these offers. They have backup offers and they obviously they, they can't present 25 offers to the bank. That's they right. provide the highest one. Now I'm seeing these deals fall apart. Yes, they do. It was just about what you know, I was talking, we we're talking about this. Two minutes ago. So tell me about that. What are you seeing? Are you seeing this too on, on the inside? I do. I see it quite a bit. And from a bank's perspective, now again, keep in mind, they've got contracted appraisers and BPO mm-hmm. agents. So mm-hmm. if they determine that the house value is 600000 and you are giving them your highest and best offer at five twenty-five, banks are looking at MLS histories. They are looking at amount of time on the market. They are looking at all of this information as well as the value. And banks are fed up. They really are. Now what they will do, instead of even coming back with a counter offer to that agent, they will just assume yep. that buyer is not going to come up $75,000. Mm-hmm. They have issued their highest and best, so they flat out decline the short sale. Now what we're doing is going back to the listing agent and asking them to put it back on the property for the fair market value, getting another buyer and starting the process all over again. That is what is taking so long with short sales. What an absolute nightmare. So then your house is going back on the market. You're going to have more showings at a higher price. And it all could have been done right the first time had oh. they had an agent who knows how to market short sales. And at the same time, oftentimes, if you're doing a short sale, the reason why, reason why you're doing the short sale oftentimes is because you have a hardship. You're upside down on your mortgage. And... If you have a hardship and you're upside down your mortgage, you might not be able to pay your mortgage. And then you might be in foreclosure. And then you, that crazy tactic that the realtor talked you into could really cost you a lot because you could actually lose the house in foreclosure. That's absolutely right. You've had to start from scratch. I have a house that I have been working on for a year now, Mike. And no, it wasn't ours. (laughs) But this one, we went through three separate buyers because the listing agent kept offering the bank $150,000 under the fair market value. Mm -hmm. The house foreclosed last week. So it it stays on their credit for, I don't know, how many years? Ten years. Oh. Ten years. And then they don't even get any of the, the... There's all these incentives that the government is giving out, has given out. There's a... It's a $25 billion settlement with the big five banks that happened last year. That's right. And that money is getting doled out. Now, that person that got foreclosed on, did they get any of that money? Absolutely not. Interesting. Absolutely not. They have lost out on saving, helping to save their credit, helping to stabilize that neighborhood by selling that home in a short sale versus an REO, mm-hmm. and also any seller incentives that may have been offered. And at one time, there was... I believe with the first offer, uh, there was a $3,000 incentive that was going to be paid to them had we been able to get that approved. That's through HAFA, H-A-F-A. We talked about Correct. that in the last segment. We did. 
you know, that $25 billion settlement, I don't think it got enough press. It didn't. And it's surprising. It's surprising how few agents and how few people uh, do know about that. And it was just, it, it was the biggest event in the real estate industry, in my opinion. Yep. Now, basically, the government came in and said to the big five banks, we don't need to name them. Everybody knows them. They said, you need to give, we want, we're going to fine you essentially $25 billion. We'll, we're going to settle with you. But we, now, that's correct. $5 billion of that went to the governments, different governments, uh, different states. State okay. and federal governments. State and federal. That's right. Now, the rest of it, it's, there's $20 billion of it. Uh, how does it, how is that divvied up? Where is it going? What are the incentives? Is it happening now? Beautiful question. Three billion of that, the smallest portion, is going to help people refinance their home if they're underwater. This is a very specialized government program, and again, it's with these five special banks that if your home and your loan meet certain guidelines, that you will be able to refinance even at a negative equity. The largest portion of that settlement was $17 billion to be given directly to the homeowners. It's a lot of money. And the way this is given, this isn't a check being written from the bank to the homeowner. This is no money in anybody's pocket. What this is is to help homeowners either have a principal reduction Mm -hmm. on their loan back down towards, closer towards a fair market value. Uh, it's also called, there's also programs called debt forgiveness where people who have HELOCs or second liens, sometimes they're wiping them out completely. While What's a HELOC? Home equity line of credit. Absolutely. And, uh, they'll, they'll go ahead and wipe those out while keeping the first lien intact mm-hmm. at that interest rate, at that payment. Uh, other. So it's, is it kind of like a loan mod? In a sense, yes. Uh, in a sense, no. Big picture wise, yes, in the sense that mm-hmm. you're, if, especially if you qualify for the debt forgiveness or principal reduction, your loan balance may decrease or the amount you owe may decrease. However, the payments are not adjusted. Gotcha. Now, do we know if this affects people's credit? Are they, are they adjusting people's credit? Or are they, that, they don't even know what's going on. That I'm not aware of. Yeah. I do believe the debt forgiveness will affect the credit uh, as a debt that is settled for less than paid in full, which is, is the sense of the same as a short sale. That makes sense. Yeah. And I guess we don't know. It's just so early on. We don't know if it's going to stay on for two years or, or seven years or exactly. 10 years on the credit report. Exactly. It's only been a year, so we're not, not quite sure how it's affecting folks' credit. So have you been involved in any of these? In these in principal reduction and debt forgiveness? I have seen quite a few debt forgiveness, uh, on again, on the HELOCs or second liens. We've had more and more over the last couple of months than we have over the last year where they are rolling around and we're negotiating a short sale. And now all of a sudden we're only negotiating a first lien where we've already got uh, the second lien has been wiped out. So there is a way to do both. Interesting. Wow. Um, and this stuff is changing all the time. Constantly, constantly. And it's getting easier. There's incentive. I mean, this is an incentive for the for sellers to do short sales. Every, everybody wins. That's right. That's right. And we can't ever guarantee any kind of an incentive to any homeowner. Sure. Each loan qualifies under its own different criteria, and only the bank knows that criteria. Gotcha. Well, we're going to go into a break. You're listening to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. We're here with Jennifer Rose with National Home Equity. 
And we'll be right back. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to dive right into second lien holders after this. Let's get back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the show. We're here with Jennifer Rose. We're talking about short sales. We have our first caller, Jackie. Hi, Mike. I'm I'm Jackie from Las Vegas. And my question is, I heard that um, people are getting money to to short sell their their property. Is Is that true? Can you tell me more about that? Sure. I'll take that one, Mike. Absolutely, Jackie. That's a great question, too. There are so many incentives available to homeowners right now. We did briefly touch on the Hoffa program, which does allow for a $3,000 relocation incentive to sellers, which has also been expanded here recently to tenants that may be in the property. Uh, they do treat that as cash for keys. There are two other uh, programs out there offered by Chase as well as Bank of America. Chase has their Chase Outreach Program, and yes, Jackie, I have seen it. We have paid $35,000 to a homeowner. Now, this is a check from escrow to the homeowner at closing, $35,000. I've seen with Bank of America, I've seen them go up to about $25,000 through what they call an HIN incentive. And sometimes these are in addition to that Hoffa incentive of $3,000. It's very exciting. That's amazing. It is. I'm assuming you get 1099 on that. Of course. Jackie, thank you for your phone call. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. So let's dive into uh, second lien holders. Second lien holders. What a, a lot of people have a first and then they have a second, which may be a, a HELOC or it's just whatever. It's still the same type of thing. That's right. Or they may even have a third trustee on, on the house. but That's where it gets really interesting. But yes, glad you brought that up. Second trust deeds historically over the past few years have been a thorn in any negotiator's side. They have been difficult to work with. They know they're in a tough position. And quite frankly, the amount of money being offered to them has been pennies on the dollar, even fractions of pennies on the dollar. So on one hand, you can't blame them. But on the other hand, they can absolutely hold up a short sale altogether and force it to foreclosure. So we definitely need to treat them with kit gloves. Now, over the past couple of years, home uh, second trustee holders, they were accepting, there was an industry standard of about $3,000. Yeah. Now, if you think about that for a second, they loaned this homeowner $100,000 and they're taking $3,000 to release their lien. Why are they doing this? Well, because if it goes to foreclosure, they see zero. Yeah. Now, that changed. Those second trust deed holders started saying, wait a minute, this is costing us a ton of money to negotiate these deals. We've got staff on hand. That $3,000 isn't covering anything. It's time for us to play a little hardball. They started wanting 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50% of their outstanding balance because they started taking the opinion that, well, if we foreclose, we get nothing. If we agree to the short sale, three thousand dollars just isn't enough. Well, and if they just take the three grand, they can't go after, at least in California, they can't go after the homeowner for the rest of the money. That's exactly right, and it was pretty much the passing of that non-deficiency Senate bill that uh, caused the second lien holders to become incredibly difficult to negotiate with. Yeah. 
So between the time that that Senate bill was passed and this attorney general settlement that we were just talking about a few minutes ago that happened last year, what most people don't realize is through that settlement in the fine print, these five major servicers, if they hold a second trust deed, they have to accept 8% of their balance up to a maximum of $8,500 to release their lien. So a little bit more money in their pocket if they owe 100000 or more. This is definitely more than 3000 but they can no longer demand any more than that, which has made the negotiations a lot easier if they are one of those five major servicers. I will bet you, well, I don't want to lose any money, but I don't <laughs> think I would lose any money if I told you that most realtors don't even know what you just said. They don't even know about the, the, eight, the 8500 8%. They have That's no idea. Right. That's right. They all think it's 3%. That's right. Still, right now. That's right. And this program has been going on for half over, a year? Over a year. Over a year. See, I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I hire you. That's right. That's right. It's my job to know these things. And like I said, it, it really, really has made our negotiations a lot better. It has, I, I have watched, here's, here's a story for you, Mike. I had a short sale, and this is prior to the Attorney General settlement, where Mm -hmm. the first lien holder was PNC Mortgage. Mm -hmm. The second lien holder was PNC Bank. (laughs) Now, most people don't know that these are two completely separate entities, all under the same umbrella company. Yep. PNC Bank, in my second lien position, was demanding $33,000 to release their second. Now, if you want to get really confusing and really technical here, the first lien holder not only says we're only going to give that second three thousand dollars, three, not thirty, but we also don't allow anybody else to pay them any money because if anybody else is going to pay them any money, we would rather get it first. Yeah. Okay. I watched PNC Mortgage and PNC Bank fight with each other. For about six months, and the house foreclosed. What if the buyer who's buying the property says, "I want to jump in, and I'd like to throw in ten grand because I'm just, you know, whatever. They're getting a really good deal, or they want to. It's been going on for a long time. The values have gone up. That's right. The, the buyers can't even do it. It depends or, now. Uh, okay. Again, we talk about it's ever changing. Mm-hmm. It depends now. If a property is being reviewed for a Hoffa short sale, no outside contributions will be allowed. If it is what we call a traditional short sale, which is basically anything not Hoffa, contributions can be allowed. Certainly can't be allowed from the homeowner himself. You know, it's funny. You're saying we're talking about different lenders. A few years ago, out in Southern California, uh, we all the a lot of real estate agents got uh, were, were told that there was a big investor that bought a huge portfolio of loans from Wachovia and that if you wanted to do if you had a a client that wanted to sell their house that had a Wachovia loan that that investor had bought the portfolio at 25 cents on the dollar so if you had you know a $400,000 mortgage on your house the actual investor that owns that mortgage is in it for only $100,000 and they were telling all the realtors and the title officers and everybody in town that hey um let your clients know this and that we can do what's called fast track and get the short sale done really quickly. And they actually gave us a phone number for a guy that you could call in Southern California and he promised to pick up the phone and he can get short sales approved in 48 hours. That's very true. That's very true. I've 
seen many of them myself. And what you're referring to, that portfolio that they picked up is the old world savings pick a payment loans. And anybody who's been in real estate business uh, about 10 years or so remembers yeah. these loans that you could actually pay less than an interest only payment on this mortgage, which caused your loan balance to actually increase up to 125% of the value of your loan. Negative amortization. That's loan. right. Fancy word there, Mike. But yes, absolutely. These, these loans were picked up by Wachovia as the servicer, uh, put world savings out of business, understandably. And they were definitely in a place where they wanted to get these not only approved and off their books, but again, they're in it for 25 cents on the dollar. If they're getting 50, 60, 70% or 70 cents on the dollar, they're making a good amount of money on these short sales. It was a smart decision on Wachovia's part. Are you seeing, um, Many Wachovia deals go through now, now that that program started three, four, three years ago, four years ago. But are you seeing that now? I mean, with your 170, 180 deals that you have right now, or did that all get washed out? There's a few trickling in still. Uh, there are still a few out there. Unfortunately, the process is not 48 hours anymore. They, they are going through a bit more of an underwriting process. And that, again, is just because of the internal changes on the bank's part. Gotcha. So it sounds like it really depends on who your lender is, and not necessarily if if it says Bank of America on your That's uh, mortgage right. statement. Bank of America, first of all, might be the servicer. It might be a, a foreign investor. It might be some other investor. Who knows who the investor is that's actually making the decisions? That's a great point, and a lot of folks don't know that. Bank of America actually services loans for over 250 different investors. Jeez. Where are these investors? Give us, I mean, just... Everywhere. There is, there's no centralized There's pension point. funds in France. That's right. There's know, insurance Worldwide. companies. There's hedge funds. There's Wall Street brokerages. That's right. But there's no way of knowing. I mean, I guess you could find out, but it, it's not something very easy to find out. That's right. It's not very easy to find out. And it's one of the things as a negotiator, I, I try to ask as many questions as I can when I am talking with these banks and they do treat the investor as a confidential entity and they don't, sometimes they'll disclose who it is, but you're always the, they will always disclose if you are dealing with Bank of America and Bank of America is the investor. Mm -hmm. The key term that a negotiator will use with you is that they are delegated to make the decision. Now they're typically almost always delegated to make a decision locally at that branch Mm -hmm. for everything that they own. There are also uh, investors out there where they delegate the authority to the servicer as well. Those loans will typically get approved a lot quicker than somebody, a servicer such as Bank of America, who needs to send the package out to an investor and wait for their approval before you can hear Bank of America say yes or no. Well, really, it seems like it's not something that you need to be concerned about right now if you're sitting at home listening to this on your computer. Not wondering. At all. You know, who owns the loan? You don't have to worry about any of that. No, you get to let me worry about that. But even if you if you wanted to start worrying about it, there's not much you can do about it. I of mean, course. Well, of course. I guess if you really wanted to do some digging, you can always call and ask. Of course. But that's awfully weird. I mean, why <laughs> would you call and ask? I think it would just be a curiosity. Yeah. Yes. It's not going to change any of the circumstances, especially in the sense of a short sale. If I had to go through a short sale, I'd ask, but then I'd... 
I'm different than a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always try to tie different investors to different procedures and different, just as I do with the servicers. Uh, My first question when anybody talks about a short sale, my first question is, who's the bank? And the only reason why I do that is because I am familiar with each one of the bank's processes. While every single short sale is different and there's always an exception, I can generally get a good feel for what the process is going to be like with one bank versus another. Well, I imagine you have probably a notebook uh, that has all the ever-changing, all the it, – it, it's your um, cheat sheet. You've got to have one that says, you know, this is kind of what B of A is looking at doing. That's right. Or Chase, and this is what they do. And I'm assuming that if you're doing 180 transactions right now, you've probably talked to the same person over over again on different transactions. That's and what's so much fun is being able to call them again and say, hey, remember me? Well, and you build a rapport. Yeah, you're saying fun, and you're not saying sarcastically. No, not at all. No, not at all. These are human beings at the banks. So I know a lot of people who are in the short sale. They picture the bank as this big, mean, cold entity, but it, it's not. You're actually dealing with other human beings on the other side, and the fact that I've worked on their side makes the relationship a little bit easier because I can talk their language and uh, understand where they're coming from. Oh, I'm at, and I can just imagine them calling, having some knucklehead realtor calling them asking them questions and oh, they want to talk to you so. exactly they want somebody who talks their language all right well you're on the mike bell real estate show we're going to, we're taking a break with jennifer rose i'll be right back and we're going to jump right into bankruptcies and other liens on properties And now more of the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the show. We're here with Jennifer Rose talking about short sales. And we're going to roll into bankruptcies and other liens and how they affect the short sale process. You know, Jennifer, you know this, but most people don't know this. But in bankruptcy court, it doesn't matter what court you are in, in the United States, it's a federally appointed judge, and it's bankruptcy is federal court. Correct. Federal stuff tends to supersede state. Yes. Tends to. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> so I know I we, I have clients that will they will when they're in the middle of a, they're trying to do a loan modification, then they realize maybe they need to do a short sale. Um, They'll call a bankruptcy attorney, and there's some bankruptcy attorneys that'll do, you know, they're just boilerplates, and they just kind of, wham bam, thank you, ma'am, thousand dollar deal, and they put you into bankruptcy, thinking that that stalls things, or that th- makes things better. We're not here to give advice, but let's talk about your experience when something like that happens, when somebody files a Chapter Seven or a Chapter Eleven. Uh, what does that do to the process? Great question, Mike. Bankruptcy affects my process in two ways, and it all depends on, number one, is the bankruptcy still active or has the bankruptcy been closed and discharged? Mm -hmm. If the bankruptcy is still open, we will talk with the bank up to a certain point. Let me take that back. We have one bank, Aquin, who will refuse to speak with you unless they have written authorization from your bankruptcy attorney. 
But negotiations can only go so far until that bankruptcy is closed. Now, once the bankruptcy is closed, then we can really get into negotiations with the bank. The way the bankruptcy attorney handles the bankruptcy, if they include the property, include the mortgages in the bankruptcy, or if they file what's called an order avoiding lien. And that's going to affect some other judgments and liens that we'll talk about. But just dealing with the short sale lenders, the biggest thing that we look for is a discharged or dismissed bankruptcy. Otherwise, we get into Fair Debt Collection Practices Act violations. Cannot talk about negotiations or collecting a debt during an open bankruptcy. Because there's what's called an automatic stay. Correct. And in bankruptcy, obviously, they, they have some. When you file for bankruptcy, you get it approved. Basically... Everything stays the same. That's right. Until the judge can figure out and everybody can come to terms with what's going to do, what, what they're going to do. But it's called a stay action. That's right. And, and it that also means affects, everything stays. Yeah, including negotiations, all that stuff. And including foreclosure. And including foreclosure. It yeah. will automatically delay or remove any foreclosure sale dates. You know, there's a change in, um, I work with a lot of attorneys, but there's a change in, uh, the way they process bankruptcies. Now you can actually file for bankruptcy in the attorney's office and they do everything through the internet. You don't actually have, I have to, heard that. you don't actually have to go to court and get it. So I'm sure you're seeing this too, where maybe somebody will come in and, and file for bankruptcy right before the court date. Oh, I've seen them do it the morning of. Yeah. We've had a few where, uh, as a last ditch effort, they, they had a bankruptcy planned and they just didn't want the house to foreclose. They wanted yeah. to include it in the bankruptcy. They wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to do the short sale. So they went down and filed bankruptcy even the morning of, and it does stop that trustee sale date. I was on Caravan last week. I was talking to an, a real estate attorney. I'm sorry, a real estate agent, and she was telling me how she gave it. She gave that advice. She gave advice to her client to file bankruptcy to stop the sale. Oh, and my. I, I couldn't. Oh, I was like, are you kidding me? The most ridiculous thing I've ever. Yeah, there's a lot of things I've heard that are ridiculous, but that's right up there. You're gonna get sued for giving. You can't be saying stuff like that. You absolutely can't. You're you have right. No idea what the circumstances are, and you could really screw somebody's credit up and their their livelihood up by giving somebody that kind of advice. You're absolutely right. And again, once again, another reason why you need to have an experienced attorney who understands the ins and outs of all of these and works with a great team who can advise their clients properly. Jennifer, I'm realizing we didn't even give your contact information out. It's on the other show, but I want everybody to know that you can always contact Jennifer. 818-863-1631. That's 818-863-1631. Her name is Jennifer Rose, just as it sounds, at National Home Equity. And her email is jrose at nationalhomeequity.com, jrose at nationalhomeequity.com. I'm sorry, I didn't. We rolled right into this on the first segment. Well, we're just so excited uh, and so anxious to talk about all of the good material. It's actually good. It's it's actually really good material, but it's it's a little dry. But it's it's information that needs to go out. Absolutely. These homeowners, these agents, everybody needs to understand where there's a will, there's a way, especially when it comes to a short sale. And as far as how far we've come over the last couple of years, along with the banks, there's no reason why these can't go through on a 
properly priced home, some diligence on behalf of the agents, the buyers and sellers involved, and an understanding of how the process works. Well, let's talk about other liens. Great topic. There is a lot of... We deal with a lot of homeowners who are behind on their payments, and it does, doesn't include their mortgage payment. It can include car payments. It can include credit card payments. Depending on the amount of time that's elapsed and the local state laws, these creditors can file judgments or liens against these homeowners, mm-hmm. not necessarily against their property. They just file a judgment in court, says they're owed this money. Well, here in the state of California, I can only comment on that, these liens automatically attach to any real property that that debtor, as known in the judgment, owns. And these liens do come up and creep up on us when we're in the middle of escrow, uh, regardless if we have a short sale approval or not. Mm-hmm. They have to be addressed. And these can get very, very tricky. Now, we have some where folks have filed bankruptcy. These debts were included in a bankruptcy, but it doesn't get rid of the judgment. It doesn't always get rid of the lien if it is filed against the property. Those liens need to be negotiated, even if that debt has been discharged. A lot of people don't understand that, and it is a difficult concept to communicate, but it's certainly not the end of the world, and we've seen a hundred of them, if not more, and had some successful closings of short sales, even with these kinds of liens. I'm sitting here listening to this thinking, okay, you're going to hire a real estate agent to do all of that? I mean, that's... (laughs) it's, It's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you hire an expert? Just, 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 I, I would ha- I would have you do all of this. Absolutely. There's no way I'm going to touch another short sale. I'll do the short sale, but you're going to do all the negotiations for me. And it just makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. We've been there. We've done that. It's our skill set. It's a, a perfect combination of escrow and real estate agent combined and uh, the knowledge of both of those fields as well as a little bit of extra new procedures and policies from uh, from our favorite banks. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. We're, we're going to wrap up. I got a super busy week. You were talking about your busy week. Yes, and congratulations. Ten properties on the market in the next four weeks. Yeah, we have about ten. We have one we just put on before the show. We have two more that we're trying to put on the market later this evening. We're smoking. Congratulations. It's smoke. We're smoking, so it's really good. Anyways, that's it for today's show. Uh, we'll be back next week. Same time. Please call in. <laughs> Don't forget to visit my website, the Mike, uh, the Mike I almost forgot my own website. <laughs> and, uh, it's a busy week. You can always, uh, shoot me an email at mikebell at kw.com. I'm a licensed real estate broker. I've been selling for 19 years and I'm happy to help anybody anywhere, uh, with any of their needs. And I'll, if you need to find a realtor that's just like me in your neighborhood, call me up. I'll find them for you. It's a free service. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you later. The opinions expressed in the Mike Bell Real Estate Show are solely those of the hosts and do not reflect the opinions of anyone at TalkZone.com, Keller Williams Realty, any board of realtors, or anyone for that matter. Always hire a real estate attorney when making real estate decisions. Do not try any of this at home.